The Gospel of John is an incredible book of the Bible that proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. In fact, in chapter 20, it tells us exactly why it was written. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The author is the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was John the Apostle, also known as John the Evangelist. Now, he was not only one of the twelve, but he was also one of the three. Jesus' most inner circle, including Peter and James. Now, he wrote this gospel in AD 90, and this book has many stories that are not found in the other three gospels. You see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels because they contain many of the same content, but John actually has some unique events that are only recorded in John. Now, this book also has a heavy focus on the new life found in Jesus and also in the Trinity. So, here we go. Let's dive in this book, and that's enough today for our Historical Minute. Let's open with prayer. God, we love you so much, and as we watch those names that came across the video screen, and we sang praises to you, we were reminded that we're a part of something a little bit bigger, that, it, that life isn't all that there is about, that there's, that there's the eternity with you that we look forward to. It's kind of a mind-blowing concept, Lord, but when we die, we'll be able to see and re-experience so many of the people that we knew on this earth, so many of the people sitting around us, we'll get to see in heaven one day. It kind of boggles your mind when you think about the celebration that that will be. Father, in light of missing people, we pray give us the strength. We pray give us endurance to keep on moving with life, even though we miss them desperately, to continue the purpose of which you have us on this earth for. But let us rejoice on that day that you take us home, where we're reunited with those that we love, where we're reunited with you in our heavenly home. Continue to remind us that we're playing for heaven and not just this life. And we pray that tonight in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Now, I want to do several things to begin tonight. One of the first things I want to do is I guess I want to call you guys to pray for a couple of people, a couple of people that, that come to our service all the time that, that are having a real bad week in the sense that they've both been rushed to the hospital. Um, Tony Sitka was rushed to the hospital, I think, yesterday, and he's in ICU, and he had a, I guess they, they got him stable yesterday, but he had a horrible day today, and yet just before service, there's a ray of hope that some of the bleeding has stopped, and so I want you to pray for Tony Sitka that, that God continues to heal him, and um, we will celebrate him in heaven one day, but we just hope that that's not today, right? <laughs> not today. Um, so, so pray for Tony. I, I encourage you guys to do that. And Alex Bogert, who does the music here lots of times, Alex, his wife, was rushed to the hospital today, and um, she's in the ER right now, and uh, she had gallbladder surgery last week, and but she was in so much pain she couldn't move and so they came and got her today so if you could pray for Alex and lift her up and so it's okay I'm going to pray one more time as we pray about those two people Father we love you so much and we lift up Tony and Alex right now and we know that you are a God of healing that that nothing is impossible for you so Father, we pray specifically for Tony and Alex right now that you put your hand of healing upon them in a powerful way. They are people that we celebrate life with. They are people that we walk alongside with. They are people that we care about and love. And so we pray that you put your healing hand on them. Father, we rejoice if you take them home, but we do not want that to happen today. And so we pray that you continue to love on them, continue to heal them. Um, and Father, just we pray that in the name of Jesus, knowing that you hear us tonight. And all God's people said,
Amen. The second thing I want to do is I want to talk about communion just for a little bit because this is a big deal. I'm so excited for you guys. They got first communion tonight. It is awesome. I, one of the things that communion does, and, and I, I was in seminary before I learned this, so it, but one of the things it does is it just gives forgiveness and strength. Do we get that forgiveness and a reminder that God's got you, that he loves you so much? It's the same thing that the word does. It's the same thing that baptism does. The all the set words, the, the sacraments do the same thing. But the difference in communion is he promises to be present. That when you're coming to the altar, you're getting to hang out with Jesus. And when you're receiving that blessing of forgiveness and strength, it's like God wrapping you up with his arms of love saying, I love you and I got you. You're mine. Right? It's a physical way of God saying, I love you and you're forgiven and you're mine. And he wraps you up with those arms of love. And for the rest of your life, I want you to look at communion as God giving you a great big hug saying, I love you. You're forgiven. I got you. You're mine. And that's the reassurance that should happen to us every time we go to the altar. And hopefully we've prepared ourselves. You guys all learned about preparing yourself as you come to the altar, right? And that preparing idea is that we're confessing on the way up our sin. God is forgiving us and healing us from that sin so that we walk away celebrating the love of God, right? There should be only smiles on the way back from communion. Nobody should be sad. On the way up, lots of sadness. On the way back, no sadness at all. So I, I just want to talk about it because it's a big deal and it's a way that we can experience comfort because sometimes don't you just need a hug? Like words are cool, but sometimes you just need a hug to be reassured that you're loved, to be reassured that you're cared for. In my relationship with my wife, sometimes she just needs a hug, but I don't want to give her one, right? Because She's grumpy, but I'll go in and I just know if I can wrap her up, then she's just going to melt and then it will be fine. But it takes some doing. But I know as soon as I got her, she kind of goes, and she's reassured of my love, my care, whatever that is. And it just settles her right down. And I want communion to be the same thing for you, a decompression chamber where you receive the love, the forgiveness, the strength of God. It is awesome. And so I'm so excited for you guys tonight. I'm also excited that we're not in Leviticus anymore. Can I get an amen? Not that it wasn't super interesting. I'm just saying. It's, just, it's a different book. So we're going to begin in John chapter 1. If you haven't been in this service, uh, it's kind of a Bible study kind of esque uh, sermon that I give. Kind of go more off the cuff and just share with you what God's word is. We go through the, the, the scripture as is. And so before we do, I'm going to give a couple of things. Um, when John writes the gospel, Mike talked about it a little bit. Uh, it is not one of the synoptic gospels. It's not one of the beginning to end history uh, kind of things. It is kind of the rest of the story. John is sharing, just assuming that you've already read one of the other three. And he is giving us extra stuff that Jesus shared along the way. He is giving us a fuller view of what happened. It, it is an awesome book to, to just really look at it. In all the other gospels, Jesus gives like these one word pithy answers, right? That we all memorize and we go, praise be to God, Jesus, you're so amazing, right? In John, he gives like chapter-long discussions, and sometimes we're like, whoa, you've said a lot, right? Now we know why the disciples were confused sometimes. I mean, he just shares a lot. The other thing that John was doing as he was writing this book is he was fighting three very prominent issues in the day. One of them was that they started to have made a lot of John the Baptist, um, almost to the point of glorifying John the Baptist right alongside Jesus. They, they made a lot of his ministry. So one of the things he was doing is he was starting to combat that heresy. In the first century, or right around 90 to 100 AD, in the church that now had established hundreds of thousands of people around the world, people started taking the truth of God, right? The truth that was revealed from the apostles, and they started perverting it, and they started getting off base. And so John was trying to realign stuff 
with the truth of God. So one of the things he was fighting was, was that making too much of John the Baptist. Another thing he was fighting was the thing called Gnosticism. I'll try to give you a very quick version of Gnosticism. Gnosticism believes that there is a God, but that we couldn't know the true God and that all we can know is the different manifestations that come from God. And the further the manifestation, the, you know, the less clear that picture of God is. They look at Jesus then as one of those manifestations, somebody who gave us a kind of picture of God, but isn't the whole picture of God. And so they also, in that sense, believe that all spiritual things were good and all physical things, material things were bad. The reason that's important is because Jesus took on a physical body, so they believed he couldn't possibly have done that if he was God. So he like borrowed it and gave it back. When Jesus says it is finished, he gave back the body in a, in a literal way, and then that Jesus died. So they didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. They didn't believe in his crucifixion and that God himself died, that he was both 100% man and 100% human. They denied that part of it. And then they perverted it even more. If all physical things are evil and we live in a physical world and we're just evil, it gave them a license in part of Gnosticism to pursue sexual immorality in spades, all the things we learned about in Leviticus, right? And it gave that church body just permission to do whatevs, right? Because you couldn't help it. It was part of the physical world. John's trying to combat that heresy, and he says different things in the book of John to really combat the, the realness of who Jesus was, that he was physical, that he was 100% man, but also more than all the other gospels, that he was 100% God. You hear people testifying that he is the Christ. Jesus himself testifies, I am the Christ, in vivid terms, unlike any of the other gospels. It's awesome. And then he's combating this thing called, well, I'll call it a, a form of postmodernism. It was a relativity of truth. <laughs> Remember, Pilate says, you know, Veritas, Veritas, what is the truth? And that was a prevailing issue in the midst of uh, Greek thought at this time. And so it was all debated, one idea against another idea, but there was no idea of ultimate truth. And so John was also combating that. And you'll see a lot of that just in this first chapter play out. Now, lest you think this is all stuff that we don't deal with, we, in the church at large in America, especially in the Catholic Church, there is a glorification of Mary at this time. So much so that some believe that Mary can forgive sins. It's a, it's a, a magnifying of somebody who is not the Christ for whatever reasons, right? They, they've lost sense of the truth of Scripture and made her more than what she is. Is she an incredible witness to the Lord? Is she incredible? I mean, should we look up to her? What she did, the faith that she put in God to have that child in the midst of all the persecution, in the midst of all the naysayers, in the midst of all the stuff that she went through, it was incredible. But she is not God and she cannot forgive on God's behalf. Only, only through Jesus do we find forgiveness of sins. So is this something that's playing out in our world today? Uh, this Gnosticism, um, is playing out in our world today in the sense of um, we have a whole segment of the liberal church in America that is kind of making it up as the go, right? They, they, they've abandoned the truth of Scripture and now are moving more through the spirit that is moving them. I heard a debate on one of the issues of today um, and one of the, 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 one of the guys that stood up and says, I know that everywhere in Scripture it condemns this particular thing. But there's a fresh new wind blowing in, and God has given us some new direction in a new way. Unfortunately, that new direction in the new way is contrary to the words of Scripture. 
But you see that playing out in churches all across America, leaving the foundations of what is true, I don't know, to kind of meet some of the secular expectations of today. Ruling by this idea of spirit or feeling versus the objective truth of God. And then the postmodernism thing, that's all over the place, right? I feel, therefore, it must be true. Even we've lost the idea of objective fact. We've lost the idea of objective truth, of ultimate truth in our society today where you can say anything and as long as you say it passionately, well, that must be true. I was just talking to a gal today and she's like, I was talking to my sister and she said, I just feel that this is the truth, so get off my back. Yeah, but there's some objective stuff that says that you're wrong, you know? I mean, she's, but she just feels it, therefore, it must be true. And we're so freaked out in our society today to talk about objective truth that we just allow that to be. So all these things are stuff that we struggle with as well. And John begins to address in the first chapter of John. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is the word logos, and Greek culture and Greek writings, it's the, it's the idea of the mind of God, right? The wisdom of God. The word of God, right? And they believed, they weren't so much disingenuous with the idea of creation. They looked at creation, they said there must be an intelligent designer because it is incredible the way everything works together. And they just acknowledged in the beginning this wisdom of God, this God, this put everything into being and that somehow has happened because everything works a little bit too perfectly to think that it was by accident. So when he's talking to the Greeks, they're going, yeah, yeah, that's ultimate truth. We, we agree on very few things, but we agree that somehow this world came to order in a specific way and that God had a hand in that. So in the beginning was the word, this logos, and the word was with God and the word was God is no different than talking about us as our voice, our, our conversation as part of who we are. And so John saying at the very beginning, the word was with God and he was God and he put all this stuff into being. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him, not any thing was made that was made. Now he's talking to the Greeks, especially right here, but he's just saying, hey, look, he put everything into motion and they would all, all agree to this at this point. God himself put everything into motion. God himself created this world the way it was. He's pitching this idea of ultimate truth. In the midst of all our discussions, in the midst of all the manufacturings of arguments, in the midst of all the I feel or whatever, they're saying there is something that is still ultimate truth in our society today and he's writing to a lot of the Greeks who now outnumbered the Jews by almost 10,000 to 1 at this time. He's writing to them and he's saying, look, there's something that's ultimate truth and it's that the word of God, this God created everything and put it into motion. In him was life. Where life here is eternal life. It's something more than just our living. It's this idea of life that's unending. So now he's pitching them to the idea that this God who put everything into motion, that nothing was that has not been made by him. In him was this life, this life eternal, this life that goes on. And that life was the light, when it talks about light, it's talking about wisdom, was the wisdom of man. That wisdom, that light shines in the darkness. Darkness is not wisdom, right? Shines into the midst of this world that does not know him. And the darkness has not overcome it. He's saying that this light, right? In him was this light, this life that, that is ending. He says that's what life is about. It's about living that unending life with me in heaven, right? It's, it's about living for eternity. 
That is the wisdom of man. There is no wisdom that makes sense other than that. You get to go to one of two places when you die, heaven or hell, that's it. That's the reality. When we talk about communion, it's a big deal because we're talking about forgiveness. God isn't just this great moral teacher that says, oh, you should do this. It will work out good if you do this. He isn't just some kind of warm fuzzy that we feel into being. He's a God that says, I came to save you. You are going to hell. I came to save you from your what? sins. Somehow in the midst of our culture today, we forget that God cares about the sin stuff. We forget that he cares so much about it that he let his son die for you on the cross so that you could be forgiven for it. When we come forward to receive communion, he reminds us that because of Jesus, you're forgiven, which is big because because we're forgiven by Jesus, we're reconciled with him, and now we don't have to go to hell. We get to go to heaven. Jesus saved us from hell, and I know we live in a culture that pretends there's no hell, which is crazy because that's not the revealed word of scripture. So this forgiveness thing is big. This eternal life thing is big. It's what we come to church for. It's not just the fellowship, which is huge. It's not just to care on other people. It's not just to learn God's wisdom. It's to be forgiven so that us and God are good so that when we die, we get to go be with him. Because that's the only alternative that makes any sense. This is the wisdom of man. This is the light of men. And that light shines into the darkness. It shines into this world. God has not hid it anywhere, right? From the very beginning of creation, he has revealed himself. And yet time after time, man has turned its back on him. That's why the flood existed the first time. That's why the dispersion existed at Babylon. That's why, that's why God almost started over with the people of Israel because he was so frustrated with their sin in the midst of all the miracles that he had shown, the power that he had shown, the love that he had shown. Over and over, man, denies the wisdom of God, denies the power of God, denies the, the plain evidence of God and pursues their own way again and again and again. The light shines into the darkness, and here's the cool part. The darkness has not overcome it. From the very beginning, when Jesus rose from the dead, right, what has man been trying to do to that light? Snuff it out. They snuffed out Jesus, and they tried to snuff out the disciples for spreading about Jesus. They've been persecuting the church ever since. You think, well, we live in a golden age. They don't persecute the church, except that 10 million Christians are being hunted down and killed every year in our world today, even this year mainly in Muslim countries around the world. But the reality is, this is the light that keeps penetrating, and God has not let it be snuffed out, not for all these years. It still persists. You still have churches that are proclaiming God's truth so that people can hear and what? Be saved. Saved so that they can go to heaven. There was a man that was sent from God whose name was John. Okay, addressing that other heresy was out there. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness of the light. In very clear form, and it goes on later in the gospel as well to say that he is a witness of, he is a proclaimer of the one that is to come. He is not the light himself. He is not the Savior himself. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. You know, there's a lot of world religions out there and they all, I guess, promise a better way in different ways. But the only one that's ever promised forgiveness is Jesus. 
The only one that paid the price to secure that forgiveness is Jesus. And here's the deal that scripture reveals all the way from Genesis to the end. It's the sin stuff that he cares about. That's why he sent you Jesus, so that you could be forgiven. Not that you could dwell on it and beat yourself up for years and years and years, no. So that you could be forgiven, freed from that, reconciled to him, and be saved. We're playing for eternity, heaven or hell. So John came to bear witness to this light, this way to heaven that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world, talking of Jesus. He was in the world and the world was made through him. He came in human form, born as a man. Yet the world did not know him. And he was persecuted and mocked and beat. He came to his own, even his own people, the people of Israel, who had been taught and prophesied to that this is the one that was to come. This was the Savior of the world. This was, they even had a word from the Messiah. The Greeks didn't have this word. They didn't have the Messiah, but the Jews knew about the Messiah. He was prophesied over and over. They were even looking forward to his return at this time. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Instead of losing power, popularity, place, they persecuted him and killed him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become the children of God who were not born who are not born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And why did he go and outline all that stuff? Well, they were children of God, not who were born, not of blood, right? So it wasn't like you were descendant of Abraham anymore. It was by faith. You didn't get to claim your lineage, right? You didn't get, well, that was my great-grandpappy, and he believed in the Lord, so I get to go too. No, it was through faith, faith alone, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's this teaching today that you have to decide for Jesus and then everything's opened up to you. But do you know how it actually works? And, and even people who decide for Jesus can acknowledge this. You are pulled by God's spirit. You are pulled by his word, his truth. He moves you, he, he pulls you, he, he lulls you, he does everything he can, he woos you to a place where you say, Jesus is Lord. You just don't wake up one morning and say, I decide for Jesus. I got to go learn about him. No, he woos you the whole time through his word, through the spirit, talking with you, encouraging you, strengthening you to a point where you say, I love Jesus. And I need him in my life. And not just for eternity. That's a big deal. But I need him in my everyday I need to be reminded that I'm not going through this life by myself, but there's he is always beside me. I need to be reminded that he cares about this junk that I'm going through because it's not always fun and sometimes it's really hard and sometimes it breaks my heart. I need to be reminded that in the midst of the mess, he's working all things for my good. I need to be reminded that he loves me, that he forgives me, that he's there for me. And then I need to be reminded that there's hope because I'm not playing for this life, I'm playing for eternity where I want to hang out with all those that have loved him before, right? I want to go see my grandpa and my grandma. I want to see him, himself, Jesus. I want to sit at his feet and I want to hear from him. I want to experience heaven. And there's nothing I want to do that would sacrifice that. 
And guys, there should be nothing that you want to do ever that would sacrifice that. You want to bake that thing into cement. You want to make sure that that never goes anywhere because that's what you're playing for. And the word became flesh, Jesus became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is the one whom I said, he is the one who comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. Again, John just trying to rebut the heresy about John. Think about Mary today, just kind of saying, hey, she was a great mom, but she doesn't save, right? He just kind of say, John's whole purpose was to point to Jesus. Even John pointed to Jesus, saying, this is why I do ministry. And one of the coolest things I learned about John as I was going through this is, I remembered again that he was a priest, right? He was a, from the priestly family. Zacharias got to go into the main section, the Holy of Holies in the temple. He was in line for that, but he gave up that priestly life to go into the desert and point to Jesus. And that was a pretty... I mean, you were proud of your kid if he was a high priest or if, or if he was going into the Holy of Holies. I mean, he had arrived. That was a big deal. But he gave up everything, the honor, the, I don't know if any got any money, but the, the honor that comes along with that, right? The respect of the people. And he says, God's called me to something more. I get to point to the Messiah. I just don't get to go before the Lord and the Holy of Holies. I get to point toward the Messiah, the one that comes to save John was an incredible guy. He trusted the Lord in incredible ways. He was taunted, he was made fun of it, and yet he just boldly said it. Think of our culture today. He was the guy that just kind of kept saying it over and over. He would go after the rulers, he would go after the politicians, he didn't care who. He just kept preaching the truth. And that's probably what happened today. He got himself thrown into jail. And he kept preaching the truth. And from his full, where am I? In verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was the one of whom I said, he is the one who comes after me, ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace just means undeserved love. Think about you, you're going before God. I, you know, I, I get the a kick out of people. Are you going to heaven? And people say, well, I think I've been good enough. No, no, you haven't, not even close. You're a wretch of a person, be honest, just honest. I mean, you're a sinner through and through. Every one of us is a sinner through and through before God. He doesn't grade on a curve. He says, if you do the one sin, you go to hell. That's how it works. You need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. That's what makes us righteous before God. That's what makes us right before God. That's what makes us a kid before God, right? Child of God. It's his forgiveness. So we go to him and we say, God, we're a mess. Please forgive me. God, help me with the consequences I brought upon myself. Give me strength to move through them, make better decisions in the future so I don't further complicate my life. God, we should be on our knees before him all the time saying, God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. And then getting off our knees and living in freedom. There's a tangible freedom that comes when we can let go of the guilt when we can let go of the beating ourselves up, when we can let go of letting people manipulate us because of the past. God gives us a freedom to move forward and to live differently. Grace upon grace, undeserved love, again and again and again. He throws it upon us. He showers it upon us because he loves you. He came to this earth because he created you to love you so that he could be part of your forever family. See, I'm linking morning and evening right now, right? That's part of the deal. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth 
came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side until he has made him known. What John's doing at the very beginning of here is he's trying to posit an ultimate truth. When I was in college, I heard a speaker one time kind of do a similar discussion. And he was saying, you know, when I got to college, I learned that history wasn't really history. It was depending on who wrote it. And he goes, and I, I learned that, that English or French or Spanish, they had all these rules and this is how it works except when there's exceptions. And then he said, and then I went over here to science and I figured out it's all theory, that they don't know anything. It's just guesses and guesses and guesses. And he went through all the different subjects. But he says, there's still one thing that I can know for sure is still ultimate truth. And that's God's word. And it gives us wisdom and perspective to look at all the other things. It breathes wisdom into the secular world. It helps us see why things are the way that they are, that there's consequences to sin. We see that not everything is a matter of feeling, but there's objective truth that God says, this is true and I love it. This is false and I hate it. It gives us a piece of rock on which we can stand in this shifting world around us that makes things up as they go. And it says, you can stand on my truth. He says, from the very beginning of time, I have revealed this truth. It's not, this, <laughs> we pretend in our culture that we're so, I don't know, new and this is, nobody's ever experienced this before. But the reality is throughout history, they've taken God's truth and turned their back on it to pursue their own wiles. Nothing that we're experiencing now is new in any way. God says, my truth is still my truth. From when I created the world to now, I have not changed like shifting shadows. I am a constant God, a God that you can rely on, a God who has said this is yes and this is no from the very beginning of time. And I've done it for your benefit because I love you, because I want to see you in heaven. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome In him was this life, and the life was the light of men. Guys, God loves you so much. And as he shares at the beginning of John, he just says, I beg of you in this world of ours, cling to his truth and find life. And with that life, find peace and forgiveness and hope and perspective as you walk through this life. Cling to his truth. And all God's people said, let me pray. God, we love you so much, and we just give you tonight. We thank you for the kids who got their first communion, and we just sit, wrap them up continually with your arms of love. Remind them that you've got them. Remind them that you love them every single day. We lift up Tony and Alex and just pray, continue, give them healing, Lord. And Father, as we talked about some of these things in John, we just pray that you would... As life comes at us, as, as the relativity seems to soup and seep into our, our way of thinking and viewing things, that you would again call us back to your truth, the truth that reminds us that you sent us Jesus, the truth that reminds us that you love us and that there's forgiveness in his name, the truth that reminds us that your word is true no matter what our culture says. It's always been true. It always will be true. It is a rock on which we can stand. Father, we pray that tonight knowing that you hear us. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Guys, go with this blessing.